Welcome to Calcast, your creator national podcast. God Network News, Episode 151. Welcome, GNN fans, to another episode of God Network News, the podcast that tells you what God's doing around the world, not what CNN tells you, but what GNN tells you is going on in the world. If you're tired of listening to all of that crisis network news and you want to hear what God's doing, well, give us a listen. Greetings, God Network News fans, to another great series that we'll be doing on movements. For these next few weeks, we've got some exciting podcasts that have been recorded by some colleagues of ours, all on the topics of movements, what makes movement leaders, what makes a movement, all kinds of exciting things. We're going to be focusing a lot on what God's doing in this season of missions, which is movements of peoples, whole people groups to Christ. There's amazing things happening, miracles everywhere. One of our organizations that we are partnering with, 2414, is already monitoring 1,360 movements. And each of these movements have over 56,000 new believers among them. And these are just amongst unreached people groups. So God is up to something really fantastic. And we're going to be looking into this in the next few weeks of our podcast of God Network News. Portions of our podcast will be made up of rebroadcasted podcast interviews from a friend of ours named Steve Addison. Steve Addison is a great podcaster and very passionate about movements of peoples to Christ. And Steve has his own podcast, very successful podcast with over 226 podcast episodes. And the name of his podcast is On the Road to No Place Left. And we highly recommend that you subscribe to his podcast because he has an overwhelming library of exciting topics related to movements. And if you want to learn more about movements, this is the place to find the information. And he has lots of training and tools and other resources that will really make your investigation of this topic successful. So we really want to thank Steve Addison and his partners there at movements.net forward slash podcast. That's how you can find it at movements.net forward slash podcast for all of the resources that he has given us for these next few podcasts. Thank you very much, Steve. So let's get right into this next interview with a friend of ours named Bruce Carlson. Man, one thing I want to pick up was precision harvesting, which really was, hey, don't go pursue people. Watch and see what God does. And there's three ways people respond. One, they ask questions. Two, they deal with the lordship of salvation. Three, they plow through the hard sayings of Jesus. Man, those three sayings have been like the bread and butter 
and and that's probably where T for T sort of revolutionized and made it a little easier. Is the three thirds actually sort of brought those three pieces in. But man, I just love to hear your heart behind that because all of what we've been talking about. For me, I was influenced by John 17, where Jesus said, you know, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Lord, glorify me with the glory that I had with you from the very beginning. Jesus hadn't died on the cross, and yet he's telling God he's finished the work. And then you read a little further, and he says, you know, I made known my, your name to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. When I read that and finally got through my thick head, what it was talking about. It was, we've got to find the people, the right people. And Jesus was a master at it, of course, but he found those core disciples and he poured his life into them. And, you know, not, not many of them were, the smartest one was probably Matthew because he was a tax collector. You know, Peter and Peter and John and those guys were just, they were just good old boys, trout fishermen. But Jesus saw something in them that, that they didn't even see. And, and you know, Paul, Paul speaks about it as well. Paul says, God chose the foolish ones and the weak ones and the, you know, why? So that no one would be able to boast in his glory, except in the glory of God. So this is, this is people God chooses to work with. And, and God has showed us that we had to find these people. They're out there. Sort of like Paul, when he goes to Corinth and they rebel and they, the Lord speaks to Paul and says, don't be afraid because my, I, have, I have found people in this city. That everywhere we go, we got to find, you know, God's going to bring people into our lives. They're God's people that God wants to, uh, see raised up to be effective leaders. Jesus had a way of filtering. He used those parables and he used those difficult teachings. And he he, he went through one set of disciples, John 6, where many of his disciples who followed him followed him no more when he started talking about eating his body and drinking his blood. Except the 12, the 12 remained. Because Jesus said, will you two go away? And that was Peter's great declaration. Lord, where do we go? He was the one who has the words of eternal life. Now we know that you come from the Father. That's what Jesus did. He filtered, and we got to filter, and, and we we do it. We do it naturally anyway. We just don't. We don't think about. It. We're not intentional about it. But everyone filters people in and out of your life. Precision harvesting is just it's just being intentional about it and setting up those filters and saying, you know, how do I how do I work through all this to find those faithful few? Just just look at the guys you mentioned. You put them together, and they they the, the amount of influence and amount of uh, growth that comes out of that is far beyond just them as an individual. I think we call it synergy. Hey, you know, another thing you really hammered on us was going through Nehemiah. You know, obstacles are God's greatest opportunity to work. The other thing you trained us in that in that passage in Nehemiah was, the. I mean, it's the, the, the fasting and prayer, the boldness of that, that, you know, 17 or seven seconds of insanity to go and say, I need this, you know, and then Nehemiah takes that bold, you know, quest and he goes and does his research and then he mobilizes people. But, you know, the one thing that just comes out so clear to me in that story of Nehemiah one through seven is the obstacles were from the inside. The obstacles were from the outside, you know, from the inside, you got the folks doing usury and abusing the people, the outside, you got the bites and more bites who are biting you, you know, and so Sanballat and the Bites saying, come down from this wall, you know, yeah. and he says, no, I'm not coming down. I'm doing a great work. I would not come down from this wall. And he always goes back to the vision. He always goes back to prayer or prayer and fasting, because I, I think that's where you've been a master uh, discipler is really um, helping us to go back to the word. I, I just have testimony after testimony in my personal life 
of being driven back through fasting and prayer, back to the word, back to trying to look at the works of God, and then God creating a new wineskin. But what is it that, you know, when you've been developing leaders and you think about obstacles that lead to opportunities, man, what's your heart there? Because somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, what's your favorite book in the Bible? One of my students, and I told him Nehemiah, and he looked at me like, you got to be kidding me. And I said, go to look at chapter three. And it took him how many days? 50, what was 57 days to rebuild the wall. But I said, you know, you look at chapter three, and then that's the result of his. He fasted, he prayed. He had. He went down to Jerusalem. He walked around the, the wall. He got a picture in his mind about how it would look like if it would, the wall had been finished. And then he chose the right time to, to share the vision. He didn't share the vision too early. He didn't, he didn't wait too late. He did his research. He did his praying. He was praying, and he got a picture of what it's going to look like. And, you know, chapter three, then he laid it all out. He put everybody in the right place at the right time, working on their wall, so that what they could do together would accomplish more than what they could do apart. And, again, that synergy that is created in the people of Israel. And then then, then there's that picture when they're, they're getting hit from the outside, and he gives them a tool for their right hand and a weapon in their left. That's what you see in some of these guys that lead these movements. God has given them that uncanny ability to, when they run into an obstacle, they know how to beat it. You know, especially those guys in India and Cambodia, nothing was an obstacle to them. Uh, it wasn't really an obstacle. It was just a detour that, you know, they had to figure out how to get around the detour because they just, they just had, they had faith, just a simple faith to, you know, that God's, God's in this and he's going to, he's going to help us get through it get over it and overcome it. And when I when I got my did my doctorate and I got into missiology as a formal study, started looking at one of the things we looked at was different cultures. And again it's a non crisis and a crisis orientation culture. Well we're a crisis orientation culture. We 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 want to look ahead and try to predict what the obstacles are. And then we put in plans, uh, our plans to try to overcome it if, if we're ready if the obstacles come. But well, we didn't really do a very good job with the uh, coronavirus. But these guys live, the rest of the world lives in a non-crisis orientation. That they don't, they don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. They're just dealing with the present. And when something comes, they'll deal with it. And they'll deal with every obstacle in a different way. They're not going to operate out of a preset way of whatever, no matter what the obstacle is. It's like the guy showing up in my house one day and he said, the Koreans had come to where he'd, he'd planned plan about a dozen churches in South Cambodia. Shows up at my door and says, the Koreans, Presbyterians have come and taken all my churches away. They paid the pastor and told me, and they put a plaque up on it and on the, on the house. And now they got my churches. And he was in a crisis. He ran into an obstacle. And he asked me, what, what did I do? You know what I told him? I asked him, I said, how many more villages are there in your area? And he looked at me like, you got to be nuts. I said, well, you know, think about it. If you're going to spend your time spinning your wheels, trying to talk these Korean Presbyterians out of stealing your churches, I said, look at all the people that are not going to have the opportunity to hear the gospel. So, you know, if it's not, if what they did was not of God, it will show itself. It will reveal itself. We don't want to spin our wheels there. So, you know, just that dealing with obstacles like that, Nehemiah was always prepared whenever an obstacle came, whether it was from the outside or the inside. You're listening to God Network News Podcast with your host, Cal Curtis. Look up our website at godnetworknews.com.
just reminds me, um, last nine years, uh, 10 years I've worked in the U.S. context. But one of the obstacles we heard over and over again was we'd be doing iron on irons and learning from one another, struggling, and we'd hear, we're too busy and we don't have enough time. What's fascinating right now is we're in the midst of this coronavirus. In the midst of it, one of the new things that's happened is people have, they're not busy and they have time and the soils change a little bit. Man, how would you admonish or encourage those in No Place Left and those um, pursuing Acts 29? God's changing soil right now in an unprecedented way. And in 166, there was the Antonian plague. There was 6% of Rome was Christian. As the Romans were leaving uh, Rome, they commented, those Christians think they are immortal. And here they are running to Rome because they think they can save people's lives and they won't die. Well, soon after that, Rome is 60% Christian. God did something amazing through that time. So we look at this incredible obstacle facing us right now, but there's an incredible opportunity. So how would you encourage brothers and sisters right now? Well, there's two ways of looking at time. One is chronologically. The other one is from, from the viewpoint of Kairos. And I never will forget when we started in Cambodia that with civil war going on and everything that was going on in that country, it just, we just had a sense that it was a Kairos moment because God had, had allowed that country to be destroyed, uh, to bring them to him. Because the, the Khmer Rouge, they did away with uh, every religion, everyone that was educated. They tried to go back to year zero and start the whole civilization, that country all over again. So when we got there, there was this huge spiritual vacuum. But it was a Kairos moment, because you look at today, Cambodia is probably one of the fastest growing Christian countries, countries in terms of response to the gospel, than anywhere else in the world. We we saw 78 churches uh, started in in five years. They grew to 123 the first year we were in India. So, I mean, we weren't the only ones planting churches, but it was just a sense of a Kairos moment. And when I got to India, I, I sort of felt the same thing. The Kairos moment. I can't. I can't describe it, but it just feel like you're you're here at the right time. You're in the right place at the right time to do the right thing. And the coronavirus is bringing us a Kairos moment. And God wants to break into this to our world. And we gotta look at that. That I mean, we don't we don't go out stupidly and infect other people. You know, just for the sake of sharing the gospel. But we. We, we're going to have opportunities to share with people as we walk through this crisis together. And I mean, Dave, I mean, Dave shared with me earlier that he had 200 opportunities to share the gospel over the course of the last couple of weeks. And I mean, I'm sitting back and watching what's happening in OKC, and it's phenomenal. You know, if I can say anything to any of us, is yeah, it, it is sad that we have this pandemic. But if there's ever an opportunity to share the gospel, it's now. And we need to seize the moment. Because it's a Kairos moment, and we've got, we, and the window's going to be small. So we got to, we got to act now. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. There it is. No, I knew that one was coming. Yeah, that's key. Every one of us is going to be impacted by this. Every one of us knows somebody who's going to lose a job, whose business is going to go downhill, who's going to lose their life savings. But we're also going to know somebody who died. And, you know, the question is, in the midst of this, what are we going to do? Are we going to be seen 
as Christians who love one another and love others and go out and share the gospel and make disciples. I don't know. It's weighty because it is a Kairos moment. Everybody deserves one chance. And um, I'm in a place where you can hear it often in the Bible Belt, and I've only gotten one chance. What about the person on the backside of the Himalayas? What about the guy in Pakistan? What about the place where there's smoke and fire and it's not nice to live? Or one of those persons has moved to one of our cities in the U.S. and people are afraid of them right now and they're not hearing the gospel, you know? And so what a, what a Kairos moment. Bruce, I do want to just have you talk maybe just a little bit about that threefold when you find the guy, because we, we've talked, we've talked about uh, you recognize that they have that, that second uh, Peter three, nine heart that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And you made mention that they, aren't worried. I, I think I use kingdom and campus a lot, but they're not worried about their campus as much as they are their, the, the whole kingdom. They want to see everybody reached. So there's two things I'd love for you just to share. One of them is, what is that God-given, the God's called man with the God-given vision and his God-given focus? How important is that to recognize um, in a leader? Right, because you said we can't create them. This is something that God has to do in their heart. And that vision, that calling, that focus is really, it it comes from him. And we kind of just partner with God to help them develop the skill set and and, and to help guide them towards character that they need. You know, if you think about terms of movement, every movement begins with one. It's all it takes is one person to start a movement. Now, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament now. For There were three guys who were involved in leading the people back from Babylon. It was Nehemiah, and his job was, his focus was to rebuild the wall. Ezra, whose focus was to get the people back into um, following the law. And there's the third guy, Zerubbabel. His job was to rebuild the temple. So they each had a focus, God's focus. I mean, I think of somebody like Victor John, whose focus was the boat sporting speakers of northern India. The way it seems God is working is he's calling out people specifically for a city or a or an ethnic group, or whatever. They're the torchbearers. They're the advocates for these people. Because if we, if you don't have a focus, you're gonna, you're gonna, your ministry's gonna go all over the board. They say, well, well, we're trying to reach the nations. Well, you can't reach the nations all at once. Your, your piece is this city over here. Your piece is this people group over here. And that, that's your focus. And God's giving you a vision for the world. He's gonna give you a focus as well. And then He's gonna bring people along for you to invest in, and who will invest in you. And that's the way it just seems God works. God's called us for a particular purpose and a focus, given us a vision to reach the world with the gospel. But I, I have to realize I can't reach the world by myself. But God raises up people to, for this part, this part, this part, this part. And together we can do it. We can see it happen. How do we put in front of guys that concept in such a way that they realize that it's not me, that the, the point is not just me, I do have to have a focus, but at the same time, I have to develop in other people their focus because, like you said, I can't save the world, but I can do my part. But I also need to develop leaders around me who take on their focus. But you got you to you be sold out for the kingdom. I mean, you got to be a kingdom person. And that's where denominations sometimes get in the way. You know, it's not our work. That's the first thing. And going back to John 17, that's one thing that, that God just really put on my heart. Jesus said, I may know your name, 
to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And everybody that comes in my office that I spend time with and invest, invest in, I had to look at it. They're not my disciples. They're God's disciples. He just gave them to me for a while. And he's, wondering, he's asking me to do what, I, what, what he wants me to do in their life. Developing leaders and making disciples is more about time than anything else. That's how you make disciples. That's how you make leaders. So there's two elements. You got to be willing to give, give your time and you got to be willing to let them go. And you got to realize they're not yours. They're his. And God's given you for a little time. You just got to pour into them what you can. John 14, that you would do greater things than I myself. When, you know, Jesus said this and there was a life characterized by somebody who gives away the kingdom gives away disciples, empowers the word, empowers the spirit, man, gives time to the right people. You know, sometimes releasing church, releasing a leader is more important than necessarily the amount of time we get them. You and Gloria are such an example of that for all of us. My, my short season with you for the few years in South Asia and then watching you in the past, I also know you're out prayer walking um, when you can right now, a little hard with coronavirus. Um, but uh, prayer walking, sharing the gospel, planting churches to this day, man, you, you just kept on doing what we, we saw you doing back then. And thank you for that's an affirmation that we weren't on the we weren't on the wrong path. I didn't I didn't do it very well. I still don't do it very well. But I, God takes the intent and has asked me to be faithful, and that's what I tried to be. And I just want to encourage you to just keep going with NPL. Keep pushing. Keep pushing the edge. Keep finding those those gaps where the, where the gospel is not for his glory. Thanks, man. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider donating to help us continue to bring exciting stories fresh from the field. Visit our website at godnetworknews.com and select the PayPal link on the right side of the page or consider becoming a Patreon partner to receive access to more valuable materials exclusive to our members.